Welcome to Rec Talks, a podcast dedicated to the ever-evolving world of rec tech and financial regulations. My name is Klaus Christensen, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Know Your Customer. We're an award-winning rec tech provider specialized in corporate client onboarding, KYC, and anti-money laundering process digitization. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome Malcolm Wright as my guest. Malcolm is an absolute expert in AML CFT compliance for digital assets. He is the Chief Compliance Officer at 100X Group and also chairs the Advisory Council and AML Working Group at Global Digital Finance, which is the industry-led initiative defining codes of conduct and best practices for the virtual asset industry. I've known Malcolm since 2018 when we first met through our mutual friend and supercharger founder, Janos. Malcolm, thank you so much for being here. Thank you ever so much for having me. As we just saw, your career is very much at the intersection between compliance and technology. Can you tell us a bit more about your background? So I actually started in technology. My degree and background was in business, IT. There was a heavy slant towards legal in, in my degree. But then I moved into technology for investment banking. So I was managing desktop infrastructure, things like that, before I decided to start my own tech company, which is doing development for applications, websites, a variety of different tech solutions. Selling that and then moving into, into compliance. So I worked for Thomson Reuters that later became Refinitiv. And on my first day, they said, hey, we've got this great thing uh, called WorldCheck. Would you be able to, to assist with it? And that was the birth of my compliance career. I found it truly fascinating and then later got picked up to go to Revolut to work for them as their chief compliance officer before being headhunted to come out to DigiNex, which is the first NASDAQ listed crypto exchange. And then most recently moved to 100X in October of last year. I think it's really interesting there is the balance between having the tech background, compliance, legal, and the entrepreneurship, the commercial understanding that really works well in this space. I think uh, any individual that combines these very diverse sets of backgrounds and integrates that into one is especially interesting. Based on your experience managing quite large teams, what are the most important skills for compliance professionals in our new, highly digitized world? I actually wrote an article uh, for the International Compliance Association about three years ago called The Future of the Compliance Role. And actually, it's still very, very much relevant today. So when you start to look at some of the drivers, so COVID, uh, for example, has led to a lot more non-face-to-face onboarding interactions. And we see this anyway with a lot of fintech solutions uh, coming through. The cost of compliance continues to rise. So three years ago, it was $8 billion per year, or estimated to be around there. It's still growing. We look at the number of regulatory alerts and enforcement actions that continues to rise that places this ever-growing emphasis on ensuring that uh, financial services firms are doing the right thing. And then there's just the general technology advancements in financial crime. So I'm looking at that from the, the criminal's perspective, whether it's hacking or phishing or other attempts to exploit funds from, from victims. So we see as well this sort of five, uh, five or six different routes where technology is evolving. So we see automation, we see big data, we see cognitive computing, which such as machine learning. We see distributed ledger or blockchain. APIs and digital identity, all of these things are changing the way that compliance is done. 
So I think today's compliance officer really can't escape having a degree of technical knowledge. They don't have to have a technology degree or quite that level of exposure, but having an understanding is going to be critical because we're moving from a world of data collection into one of data analysis, data interpretation, understanding how technology can be exploited by criminals to making sure that, for example, AML risk assessments can really take account of that. And then learning to work across multiple disciplines. So as we move into, for example, fintech world, it may be that you wouldn't go in, for example, just doing screening and that's the only thing you touch. You may be involved in the whole customer lifecycle from gathering all of the facts about somebody to all of the behavior. And then being flexible and adaptable to change. We're moving at a very, very rapid pace. So thinking about things in the way we used we do things around here really doesn't work. It's having that flexible approach to say, how can we do things better? How can we look at this and make it more efficient and more effective? And with this, I think we also see a move where compliance is not really the business prevention unit that it was once perceived as being. It's now very much more becoming business strategy compliance as a competitive advantage. And we saw this with with Revolut when we look at, for example, how they are leading the pack in terms of non-face-to-face onboarding and able to do that with full compliance behind the scenes taking place. Interesting that you mentioned both ICA and, and Revolut. Two thoughts about that from my side. Revolut recently led uh, the pack in the least number of clicks or interactions to open a, an account. And uh, I remember thinking, well, that is actually a competitive advantage that traditional banks haven't even thought of. That is not a metric that they would measure themselves against at all. They haven't looked at this. And yet for us as, as users, it's so important. And uh, the other thing, uh, I remember actually, we we were both uh, speaking at an ICA event uh, in 2019 in Singapore, and uh, you had a, a full session and I had a panel after that. And I remember the, the panel's title, funnily enough, was Ragtech, Friend or Foe. It was provocative at the time, but actually uh, the ICA audience uh, themselves were all pro using Ragtech already. So I think that that change in the uh, compliance professionals has already happened. That leads me to uh, another compliance question here. You have become an authority on all compliance-related matters for virtual assets, and here especially around the specific requirements from the Financial Action Task Force. What sparked your interest in this space in the first place? I will be honest and admit that uh, back in 20, it must have been 2013, 2014, And I remember when when Bitcoin was about $15 and I was like, ah, what's this thing, Bitcoin? At that time, how I wish I'd bought. But it was actually when I joined Revolut. And it was just that point when Revolut started to offer crypto services. So being able to exchange into a crypto wallet. And that really piqued my interest. That was the point I went, ah, okay, there's something very interesting going on here. And it was when a lot of other people also sort of said the same thing. So when I was kind of headhunted to come to work for Diginet, I saw that there's this huge opportunity not to be missed. It was looking at how to build the future of finance. It was as bold as that, because now we start to see, for example, central bank digital currencies or CBDCs, and that's based on the same, a lot of the same technology. We see there will be decentralized finance as that starts to mature. There's going to be a rationalization of finance. So 
this was an opportunity to get in and build a greenfield site and build KYC for asset management, exchange, custody, capital markets, all of those sort of segments of the industry. So it was like, I really can't turn this one down. And my interest has just grown since then. So at the end of last year, I progressed to my next opportunity at 100X, which really is now leading how to drive the best practice from within a very established firm, how to drive that best practice of compliance that's really going to lead the way in that nexus between the virtual asset industry and compliance and regulatory requirements and all of that. Just just a side comment there. Um, I actually bought Bitcoin at $8 and sold almost all of them at 24 and thought, yes, 300%. Oh, dear. We can all look back and go, oh, if only. We mentioned FADF before. What has been your involvement with the FADF? I found that very interesting. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, your work with them? I think it goes back to when I first took over the chair of the AML Working Group at Global Digital Finance. It was coincidentally at the same time in October 2018 that the FATF introduced the concept of virtual assets and virtual asset service providers and those definitions, and then said, we're going to be introducing updated recommendations for VAs and VASPs. A consultation came out in February 2019, and I led the, the, the group at the time to respond to that consultation. I went to a face-to-face -face meeting with the FATF and a number of the industry in Vienna in May 2019. Uh, and that was followed up when the FATF actually introduced the recommendations in June of 2019. In September of the same year, we, we organized the first V20 event. This was on the sidelines of the G20. This was Global Digital Finance, IDAXA, the International Digital Asset Exchange Association, and the Chamber of Digital Commerce in the U.S., between us, we put together this three-day event. We called in the industry. We had the FATF there who presented and, and fielded all of our questions about how we were going to comply with these recommendations. It was a very, very strong event. It was then that the, the FATF introduced the concept of the virtual asset uh, contact group, which is members from each of the FATF countries would, would provide members to outreach and discuss with the industry. It was led by Japan and the U.S., I've been part of that dialogue in terms of discussing with, with the FATF on, on a fairly regular basis where the industry is heading and some of the challenges that are being experienced and being able to get answers and feedback from the FATF on certain areas. It's been hugely collaborative and probably not seen in the same way of any other industry segment, but we're hugely grateful to the FATF for that level of engagement because it really has promoted a strong working partnership. And at the same time, then in September 2019, we also had the foundations of the IVMS uh, working group, which is the InterVASP messaging standard. The context there is as, as part of the recommendations, VASPs, which is exchanges and custody providers, have to now provide originator and beneficiary information between each other when sending transfers in the same way as SWIFT today in the traditional financial system. Now for crypto, it doesn't work in quite the same way. And we wanted our own messaging standards. I co-led the group of 135 technical experts on weekly calls to develop a standard in just 18 weeks. We released it last year. 
And now it's being broadly adopted by the industry as being the standard messaging format. So that was a, a huge win for the industry. We haven't stopped there. We've kind of continued the dialogue with the FATF uh, even up until today. We held another V20 event in November of last year, and we had a whole regulator forum. So we had the FATF speak, we had five regulators, participants from all sectors, from custody, exchange, DeFi. And then we had a, a session at the end on the next steps for IVMS and what we wanted to do, whether there were future standards to develop. We're not done yet. We still have things to solve around travel rule, around DeFi, stable coins, self-hosted wallets. I think that interaction is going to continue for, for some time yet. It seems that uh, the whole virtual asset industry is growing up in a very rapid fashion. It's pushed to grow up by society and by regulators that uh, have the mandate from society to bring order to the chaos and make it usable and safe for everybody. Do you see virtual assets becoming more and more embedded in traditional financial services? And if so, what is the role of the FADEF and other regulators during this transition? The short answer is absolutely, yes. There's a report from Grayscale They did a 2020 report. And in Q4, I think they saw something like 93 or 94% of their fund flow was from institutions into their, their crypto fund. If you looked at, for example, DBS Bank in Singapore, and they recently announced that they will be launching a crypto exchange with tokenization. We look at the partnership between Standard Chartered and ING to build Zodia, the custody solution that's being built into the FCA sandbox. We look at the OCC in the US allowing stablecoins for international transfers, which has real benefits. Stablecoins are a form of crypto and stablecoins will allow for faster, cheaper transfers. That has to be a, a benefit to the financial system. So I think that there has been a huge move now towards seeing the institutional participation. And this is going to have an effect on how rapidly financial services firms can adapt to this this new world. Because when things can be done faster, cheaper, quicker, more efficiently, then that take up will, will follow. I think there's also starting to see a recognition of myth versus reality. So, for example, not all Bitcoin is involved in financial crime. There's enough evidence and reports out there now that show that the, the vast majority of it is now used for trading, investment, and those types of purposes. If you looked at figures from firms like Elliptic, it was 0.5 of a percent that were involved in, in illicit transactions. So it's very, very small. So the FATF and the regulators' role is absolutely pivotal here, as is the industry. You mentioned the industry is growing up, I believe so. I think it's more awareness, starting to come to the awareness that this is not just about technology, it's about regulation. It's about compliance. It's about preventing bad people from doing bad things using crypto, exploiting the new technology. What we need though is regulation that is right fit. It's fit for purpose. So it's not only not overly onerous that it would prevent and stifle innovation, but that it can promote innovation in a safe way. It needs to be adaptive and agile. So having regulation that takes five to seven years to go through the legislative process before it becomes law. Well, seven years ago, if we look back when Bitcoin was then and how rapidly 
the whole market has evolved and, and exploded into a, a number of different things. We have to have a legislation that can move quickly. And the last one is, is that regulation needs to be harmonized. We need to see a system where AML legislation is the same. And that, that's really important because that, that prevents arbitrage. And you know, it also makes it far easier for firms to actually comply. The vast majority of firms I speak to on a daily basis they do want to comply. They do want to find that that route forwards to be compliant with whatever regulations that they are subject to. The, the role of the FATF, the role of regulators, is to look at how they can provide that framework in which the firms can operate. And the role of the firms is to help to drive education through public-private partnership with regulators and the FATF and have that real bond and interaction so that it's a win-win for, for everybody apart from the illicit actors. Well, I believe regulators have moved in the, in the past few years a lot already. They are no longer focused on the paper process as the, the first uh, go-to solution. And regulations already take in digital means in uh, the traditional financial industry. Still, I will say it is probably a challenge for regulators to move as fast as we move in digital assets at the current pace. Uh, it really depends on the, the where you are in the world as well as to how easy it is to move quickly. We see some smaller locations are, are doing stepped regulation. That it's incremental. They release at one level and then release additional legislation, additional legislation to shore up the system and move quite quickly. I think that's beneficial. That's that's a very good way to, to approach this because then it's understanding the risks as you go. And as you start to build up knowledge in the area, then it becomes easier to then manage the risks and manage legislative requirements as you then expand into the wider remit or as the industry then moves forwards. I'd love to know what are the biggest compliance challenges related to virtual assets at the moment from your point of view? How can we overcome these? Technology understanding compliance and why we're doing it. I think that's one. I thought it was compliance understanding technology. That was my second point. It's compliance understanding technology. So we live in this world where one may not understand the other fully, let me put it that way. And there needs to be um, you know, a mechanism to translate the world between the two so that everybody can, can actually understand that the, the importance of what we're doing. But then there's actually you know, the understanding from the regulators. How much do they understand the technology, the challenges that we face in terms of trying to put in place FATF recommendation 16 for wire transfers and the originator and beneficiary information. So actually public-private partnerships, both on a, a local level within a jurisdiction and on the international level, so through people like Global Digital Finance, those kinds of uh, relationships are, are really key to making this understanding work at all levels. I think the travel rule implementation, so recommendation 16, that is difficult because there's a lot of solutions out there that lead to fragmentation of the market, getting harmonization so that every VASP can talk to every other VASP is going to be challenging, but we are working to see how we can do that. And then I think the lack of harmonized regulations or even recognition programs for licensing. So one jurisdiction recognizing another jurisdiction's license where there's equivalency. And then the last one is actually finding staff within the compliance sector is a challenge. So those who are appropriately qualified or who have sufficient interest to say, hey, I really want to move into fintech. I really want to move into this 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 world of new finance and I, I can bring with me a skill set or an understanding or an interest. We find that at the moment not enough. And when I say we, I mean generally as a, a 
tech industry, we find that there's not yet enough people who have sort of crossed over the threshold into this this new tech-driven compliance world. There's certainly some role for education, I'd say. This is a fast-moving world, especially in, in the virtual assets, but also in the general KYC AML technology area. And um, there's a role for universities and uh, other educational institutions to put out this knowledge in, in an easily digestible form to the compliance community. And it is a genuinely interesting new world. Last question here, and let me ask this question that I ask all of our guests. If tomorrow you woke up and somehow you had become the global financial regulator, what would be the first thing you would do and why? I would focus on harmonizing regulations. That would, that would be my first thing, because I think that that solves a lot of problems it makes you know the cost of compliance cheaper more effective than than having a, a system that is is fundamentally different everywhere you go and it avoids regulatory arbitrage so it actually makes it harder for the bad actors to penetrate the system if i know there's no weakest links thanks Malcolm. this has been really interesting and uh, i loved this connection to the virtual asset world thanks for being our guest today Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rec Talks. My name is Klaus Christensen, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of award-winning RecTech provider, Know Your Customer. If you liked the episode, please subscribe to the whole series and leave us a review. And if you'd like to connect with us, suggest a guest or a topic for an upcoming episode, please send us a message at info at knowyourcustomer.com or visit knowyourcustomer.com slash rectalks.